This is the Open Wallet Podcast, an exploration of personal finance. I'm Katie, a numbers nerd. And I'm Joe, a 40-year-old punk rocker. And And we're we're married. married. We're here to talk about and figure out all the personal finance questions we all deal with, like... How do I read my pay stub? How do I dress better on a budget? How do I start an emergency fund? What goes into buying a house? And lots more. So join us on Open Wallet Podcast, on iTunes, or wherever you find podcasts. Welcome, everyone. I'm Joe, this month's host of The Commentarians. And I am Chris Williams. I'm a uh, film critic. I write the Criticisms uh, newsletter and co-host the We're Watching Here podcast. And we're here to talk over your movies. Uh, Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Commentarians. Is this Prairie Home Companion? Husband Bulge is now a part of my permanent vocabulary. (laughs) I saw a squirrel. I am going to point out real quick, this to me is like the most disturbing scene in the entire movie. Stop listening right now and go watch Firefly. Hey, this is my podcast. I'm sorry, sorry, Joe. (laughs) We are saying that not only have we been wounded, we survived, and there's a God who heals of these wounds. Jesus isn't about the isms. Uh, He's about his kingdom. Because it is kind of like this idea that Jesus died for all of our sins, except when you had sex. Jesus doesn't cover that. Hey, everyone. So as you heard, we got Chris Williams here, film critic, writer, and a podcaster. And we're going to talk about a really interesting movie today. Uh, well, today we're going to be talking about Blue Like Jazz, uh, which you suggested, Chris, right? Yeah, yeah. We were batting a few ideas around. Um, and I don't really know if there was anywhere... Like some of the ones I was excited about, I could kind of feel like, eh, I don't know. And then we were just batting a few ideas. And then Blue Like Jazz kind of hit me because I hadn't seen it in a while. This is actually, we're actually coming up on the uh, 10-year anniversary of this movie. And I remember being very taken with it. Um, You know, I I don't know how much you want to save, but this came out about the same time as another big faith-based movie (laughs) uh, that that I've actually talked to you about. Right. and I thought this was a good antidote to like the God's not dead and things like that. And I was a fan of the book blue like jazz when it came out. So I thought this would be a, uh, this would be a fun one to talk about. It doesn't get talked about a lot. And uh, right. I, I think that's a shame. Well, not anymore. And I guess we'll talk about that. Let's just get started with the movie. Cause we yeah. have a lot to talk about. So absolutely. Let's jump into it. So uh, we're at, we're positive zeros. Uh, Positive zero. So get ready. Three, two, one, play. All right. The uh, highway turn and roadside attractions. So, yeah, it's Christian, modern Christian history is really interesting, especially when it comes to pop culture, because Mm -hmm. everything happens in certain time periods, right? Like, there's an explosion of Christian rock, like Christian punk and ska in the 90s. It was huge. And then Christian film and Christian books. And then like this shift that happened in the 2000s where it started becoming a little bit more progressive. And I think a lot of people fell out of Christianity into a Christ- either not Christian at all and into 
uh, progressive Christianity. And it all happened kind of, you know, in this little, you know, I don't know, this time frame. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was really about the same time that, you know, the emergent church, uh, I don't even know if that's a term that's used anymore. I think maybe that became progressive Christianity in many ways, Mm. but, you know, there was the emergent church. Um, I remember the first time I heard of Blue Like Jazz, it was, I, I was dating a girl and she had asked if I had read it and it was kind of in the same circles as like Velvet Elvis, um, the Rob Bell book that, right. that was really popular at that time. And so, yeah, there was, yeah, I, I think Brian McLaren was really big at that point as well with a uh, new kind of Christian and really these, these books that talked about rethinking faith traditions. Um, it, it, and it, it could go from as far as, you know, I'm just not comfortable with the, you know, white conservative evangelical branding to things where, you know, it's got more in line with maybe universalism and things like that. And and it all kind of got lumped together, but it was it was almost like the deconstruction movement before this round of the deconstruction movement. You're right, exactly. And just watching this movie, it like you mentioned, this is almost like the antithesis to God's Not Dead. Because it's almost the same story, but it's, uh, I would say, kind of a more realistic version. Even though this is a little nutty still, it's a little exaggerated. But uh, just a notion that uh, a Christian goes to a super liberal, super anti-Christian college, and he turns out all right. It's not that bad. (laughs) It's a movie that I, I think it's a little kinder it's a lot kinder than god's not dead yeah. um it it likes the characters that's that's one thing i keep coming back to i was reading some of my old postings on this movie when i was logging it on letterboxd or writing about it and there was this idea that I, that I kept coming back to like it seemed like donald miller and steve taylor the director like these characters like all of them mm-hmm. no matter what they believe and god's not dead doesn't feel that way oh no um and, and I mean, that makes sense. You know, Donald Miller is the big name with this. It's based on his book. But I think this is really makes sense when you consider it's coming from Steve Taylor, who, um, you know, I, I don't know if you grew up listening to any of his music. He was pretty big in the Christian alternative music scene and the Christian punk scene for a bit um, in the 90s. And his stuff it was always very much about not just being the prototypical, you know, Jesus cheerleading music. He was very much about challenging the church and making the church uncomfortable and understanding where we had screwed up a bit. And so he has stuff like a song, I blew up the clinic real good, which is, you know, a song (laughs) about an abortion clinic bomber. Um, You know, his album squint, it has an, has a uh, song called cash cow, which is, all about, you know, confronting materialism in the church. And that's just kind of been his thing is to push back a little bit at Christian culture instead of just kind of accepting it as the thing it is. Um, I, I remember I interviewed him several years ago for a podcast I was doing, and we talked a little bit about this movie, but it was really, I remember him saying that they wouldn't sell some of his CDs at the Christian bookstores because they made people uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the good guiding hand that, uh, that that's the secret sauce with this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what we have is essentially Donald Miller. He's a youth leader 
you know, he's not the the youth pastor, but he's certainly a leader in his church. He's uh, helping the kids, you know, running games and stuff. And he has divorced parents. Uh, his mom is very much a Christian, and his dad is now uh, a vagabond. <laughs> what do you call him? A, a troubadour of sorts? <laughs> yeah, he, he's like a hippie. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, which is funny because Donald Miller, I, I, I don't believe he knew his dad really well. He's written some books about growing up, fatherless. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot that was kind of pulled in to this movie to help give it a narrative, which I know was one of the challenges. But yeah, he, he comes from a... Uh, you know, he's he's the good youth group kid, the Baptist boy. Right. And I'm I'm finding that that's something that, you know, I think we've settled into this comfortable position where people were deconstructing or leaving the church, were like uh, losing their faith in God or coming back or not trying to not knowing what to do. But a lot of people had really terrible experiences with their church. Mm-hmm. And so now they're kind of settling into this, okay, uh, they're almost um, kind of coming to terms with what with the, I guess they call it religious abuse that they've experienced, where they were overworked, they were taken advantage of, they were treated badly by their church and in the name of God. Mm-hmm. And now they're they're realizing, oh, that that wasn't God. That's not the Bible. That's not Jesus. That, that was people. And... This is really interesting because I think that this kid's kind of coming from the same space. Not probably not as terribly as a lot of other people, but certainly he was told the church is one thing, and it turned out that it's kind of something different. Yeah, and I think what they have it set up here, and we're you know if you haven't watched the movie and you're watching with us, I, I'm going to spoil it a little bit, which is. I, his mom is having an affair with the youth pastor at mm-hmm. this church, right? And I think that's kind of the inciting incident. That's not what really caused Don Miller himself to go to Reed College, but it was made up for this movie. But I do think it does tap into, you know, I don't even know if it's spiritual abuse or things like that. I think there's always been this history of people who grow up in the church, and you do start realizing that maybe because it's just a you know, it's a collection of people who are sinners and are broken, that they don't always act like they're preaching. Um, or you just notice that there are flaws in the church and you start to question. And, you know, so I would think like this deconstruction, I mean, it's it's the same mold as like, you know, the Jesus people in the 70s and, mm, yeah. and things like that, which is, you know, there's this way we've been told that you have to do Christianity well, is that the way, you know, does it have to look like that? You know, can you still have Jesus and long hair? Can you still have Jesus and be a liberal? Right. You know, Um, and I think that's, that kind of hit me. That's when I read the book, you know, I was in my, I was just coming out of my cage stage Calvinist phase when I, when I read blue like jazz. So Mm. I like, I read that. And Brian McLaren's book and Velvet Elvis in like very quick succession. Wow. And it it broke my brain. And <laughs> I still wasn't at the point, like even now, there's still a lot of that where I, I'm like, it's a little too far for me. Like Brian McLaren, I don't agree with him on a lot of things. Rob Bell, you know, I I I like a lot of his stuff. I don't like a lot of his stuff. Um, right. But I feel like Blue Like Jazz always was different for me. Because it was a book that was it, it was written by a writer, so not by a pastor, not by someone who was in the ministry. It was built by someone 
it, or it was written by someone who was just musing about his own thoughts. And they were a lot of times the thoughts I was thinking, right? Like, mm, yeah. how how does Christianity fit into this world? Are the people who I was told were the villains, are, are they really that bad? Is it, can I get along with people who don't share my faith? And I, the book really resonated with me. And I, I read it several times in my 20s. Um, I, I think the last time I read it was about 10 years ago, about the same time the movie came out. Um I remember I was uh, recuperating from some surgery and, and I would stay up every night and read it. And it, it really, like, I, I really was taken with it and I haven't really read it since, but there's, there's really good stuff in there. I, I think he was a really thoughtful writer. Yeah. And that, have you read Blue Like Jazz? I read most of it and I don't okay. remember a thing about it. What I <laughs> do remember is how, again, a lot of young people loved it. A lot of people who read it, they, it, it hit them because, and that's kind of the thing is that when young people actually pick up the Bible and they start reading it, they start realizing, Hmm, there's a lot of stuff that I've been told that isn't in here or that this thing that the Bible says is, is against that I was told the Bible was for. Mm-hmm. And so I remember like a lot of young people loving this book and I, I really, I, I do remember enjoying it and thinking, yeah, I don't see anything wrong with this. This seems fine. And then a lot of older Christians, a lot of conservative Christians saying, okay, I, it's fine if you read it, just be careful. Don't let it, you know, tempt you away. Don't let it give you the wrong, the wrong ideas. Sure. Yeah, I, I I remember a lot of that too. I in fact, you know, I I still had a lot of my cage stage friends at the time I was first reading it, and I think it was a lot of the same thing. Like, oh, you're reading Donald Miller. Well, make sure you have a little bit of you know Piper on the side to to balance <laughs> you out. Um, it, it, and what's funny is I remember going back to it, you know, when I would have been in my 30s the last time I read it. And there was this kind of sense of, and maybe it just speaks to how much I've changed or, you know, I'm just maybe not as easily shocked. Um, but I remember thinking, oh, what was I afraid of with this book? Because right, I, I don't think he says anything too controversial. I think Donald Miller's thing is he has a lot of questions and, you know, Rob Bell's the same way, but I don't even think his questions were as provocative as anything Rob Bell was asking. You know, Rob Bell was saying you could get rid of parts of doctrine and, (laughs) you know, really kind of brushing up against universalism. And Donald Miller's big thing just seems to be like, hey, maybe maybe everything isn't as grid-like. Like, that's the big takeaway I had, is the way of looking at Christianity that we have is through a grid, and he's like, maybe that doesn't make sense in life. Maybe maybe Christianity has to be this thing that we take on faith, and we take without knowing that we have to have all the answers to everything, and we just move on in faith and without a formula, which, given where Donald Miller ended up, <laughs> I think just, <laughs> just about... Just I, I actually, just about two or three weeks ago, I remember getting an email um, from him. I, I'm subscribed to a mailing list he sends out, and it was it was so weird because it was plugging his new book, and the the paragraph was basically one thing I learned about life is that you you know you can have everything you want. There just is a simple formula for it, which is 
180 degrees <laughs> from uh, <laughs> where he was with uh, Blue Like Jazz, which is fascinating. And I, I have some theories on that we can get it into down the way that actually come out of the making of this movie. Mm. But um, but yeah, I, I mean, it, it was a book where pe- someone was asking questions. And it's funny, he wasn't trying to provide answers. I don't even think he was trying to teach. He was just writing a memoir. And I think sometimes people in the circles I was in didn't like the fact of asking questions, right? which is kind of crazy. I, I, I've, you know, if we worship a big God, he's big enough for my questions. And, um, <laughs> but it was just a simple asking of questions that, uh, that really, that bothered them. Right. The thing that, I, yeah, go, go ahead. Oh, I should just point out that he is now leaving with the, um, the armor of God on him. <laughs> um, and uh, what's funny is if if you grew up in a Baptist church, that armor of God was in your church, and someone wore it at least once a year to VBS. <laughs> this symbol, this yeah, symbolic thing they yeah, they use pretty literally to show to to explain the the lesson to children. Although one thing I love here, and this is a part of the movie I remember as as I'm watching it, so he's leaving the church, and he has all his little bumper stickers on the car, you know, right. bumper sticker Christianity. But there's a really cool thing that uh, Steve Taylor does a little bit is when he gets to read college, they all have bumper stickers on their car too. Mm-hmm. And it, it is funny how uh, <laughs> I forgot about the weird rabbit. Yeah, I know. Um, it's a weird animation. Which it, is taken from the book. Um there, there's this whole parallel he has about the Don the Rabbit and the sexy carrot. I remember this, where he's chasing the sexy carrot, and then once he gets the sexy carrot and eats it, he dies. And the point is, the things we love can kill us. Um, we, we, you know, if if we don't have God guiding us or something like that. Huh. Nothing to do with the movie. There is no 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 reason yeah. any of that's in the movie. But um, but no, I I, I think the bumper stickers are interesting because. I think it's really clever how it's saying, you know, whatever belief you have, you know, whatever side of any political aisle or anything, at the end of the day, you can still just be identified with that. And it doesn't mean much. It's it's just the little bumper stickers you have. You, right. you just you just still do a little slogan and <laughs> you lose sight of what's really behind that. Right. I think that he did that uh, I really do like is um, and it's just a little thing that he did was uh, when the youth pastor brought out this marionette of a Mexican guy in a, on a donkey, and he's using a really kind of, you know, a, a stereotypical Mexican accent. Mm-hmm. Like, the two, uh, two people in the audience who are Hispanic kind of look like each other, look at each other like, okay, that's <laughs> a little bothersome. That's not, that's not totally cool. And it's just a little thing that he does that, <clears throat> yeah, that... Uh, they don't really, people don't generally, you know, in in white evangelical churches understand that, hey, maybe that's not okay to do, to yeah. make a joke out of somebody's accent and culture. It's probably not great. Yeah, it, it's a very self-aware movie. I, I like that. I like that he's willing, Steve Taylor's willing to kind of understand that the joke is sometimes on Christian culture. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I mean, that's not a thing in faith-based movies. It's It's very reverent and you can't even you know make a joke about the fact that sometimes church is weird and tone deaf right oh and i I should say 
uh, Love Supreme by John Coltrane is my favorite jazz album. It is phenomenal. It is so, I, so good. If you don't like jazz, you'll like that album, though. That's how good it is. I, I need to listen to it. I have this book. Um, it's like 25 masterpieces every Christian should know. And there's a whole chapter about a Love Supreme in there. Oh, nice. And I, I need to give that a listen. Yeah. And so I guess these, these are his dad's records. Yeah, his dad is, you know, the one who introduces him to jazz and the idea that life is like jazz and doesn't have to resolve and things like that. There's no formula. And that's that's I've always I've always loved that about the book is that it is this idea that it doesn't have to be neat and tidy. There's not a very easy formula to Christianity. Um, And I like that the movie picks this up. This scene is very weird to me. Yeah. Um, this this scene is really where the film, you can kind of feel it pushing and saying, "Hey, we're 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 edgy and PG thirteen, right?" <laughs> um, because they toss in references to a uh, a nip slip, um, which God's not dead doesn't doesn't say, and then <laughs> um, just the really edgy way to show, I guess, that it's a co-ed bathroom is the girl peeing at the urinal. Yeah, which. You know, that they, they wanted you to know this was not your daddy's movie. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I didn't really have anything else to say about that. No, but, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just weird. Right. Because he goes all out in showing how crazy, liberal, weird, off the wall this college is. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and which is why he, ch- he chose it. He essentially questioned its faith doesn't know if he wants to be a Christian anymore. So he went to the most not Christian church uh, uh, college he could, he could find. Yeah. Which his dad, again, inter- like told him to go there because it'll open his mind and he'll learn new things. And again, well, antithetically to God's Not Dead, which is about, hey, liberal, like, liberal colleges will attack you. They'll bring you down. They'll 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 push back against your faith, and this one's saying, yeah, I mean nobody really cares. I mean on some level, I think they do say that don't let anybody know that you're a Christian. But yeah, it, it it's funny. It it feels very over the top and kind of in your face, but it really does capture. I was you know I was that stereotypical. Baptist kid. Um, I think they call him Baptist boy at one point in this movie. <laughs> and I that was my nickname. I was the Baptist boy. Um, I led the Bible study at high school and everything. And I wouldn't say like I went to an overly liberal college. I went to a state university in Detroit. Um, but I will say as someone who had been sheltered, whose only friends were youth group kids going up, um, it, it was fascinating and exciting and terrifying to step on a college campus where you know, they did talk openly about sex where, you know, there were political discussions that weren't telling you to vote for the Republican candidate. Um, and, and it kind of feels like this big, crazy world you've stepped into. Um, and it's almost overwhelming because you haven't been told half this side of the world exists. Mm, you yeah. know, when, when you've grown up in the church and you've been sheltered um and it's almost brain breaking at times. And I, I love that this film understands that, understands how weird it can feel, but then isn't judgy about it. Right. Uh, it's just, this is what it is. And 
you know, how do you how do you engage with that as a Christian? And how did what it, how does your faith reconcile that? And you know, it, it's Don who has to do the most changing in this. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think we ever had shirtless diapered marching bands at my college, <laughs> though. I'd have to double check. But and I also kind of a you know appreciate that he's not he can be kind of a jerk sometimes also that mm-hmm. his rebellion against his push pushing back against his faith makes him you know not a good person always and yeah because that that can happen you, that can happen when you become a Christian you know you you just you're so passionate that you you know you go whole hog or when you lose your faith you kind of you know, you become kind of a jerk and you kind of have to find your happy medium after a while, after you realize the way things actually are. You know, you're not yeah. you're not right about everything. Other people have different ideas and that's okay. But uh, yeah, when you discover something new, you're very passionate about it. And uh, that's yeah. what happens here. And it's in college where you're, you know, you're at your most passionate, you know. <laughs> um but it is funny because I, you know, like I said, I, I was like him. I was the, you know, cage stage Calvinist kid at one point. But then I had the whole other, you know, pendulum swing where, you know, I, I began questioning things or I began looking at Christian culture and seeing, oh, there's not a lot that I like. And I realized, well, yeah, that erupted out in a different kind of passion and anger where I didn't want to admit the church was doing anything good i wanted to just kind of be angry and push back against that and not just realize there's this whole messy middle ground where christians aren't perfect and people who don't share my belief are not evil and (laughs) we we kind of have to share this like whole messiness we're in the middle of right um I, i i realized too i don't think i know any actors in this movie yeah, um, I looked them up. I don't think they did much work afterwards. One of them was on Lost. Um, oh, really? The, the the girl the girl in this shot um, next to Don, she was in Lost for a few episodes. Um, and I know the guy who plays Don was on True Blood, which I never watched. But um, other than that, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of CW actors in here and stuff. Yeah. Um, it's funny because usually the uh, the faith based movies they get at least one big star. Like I, I took my son to go see American Underdog recently, which <laughs> right. is the Kurt Warner movie, and you know they get Dennis Quaid to show up for that, and even Zachary Levi is a, a good sized star. Right. Um, but they don't they don't have any of that in here, and I don't know if that hurt it. They didn't have Kevin Sorbo or anything. <laughs> um, well, the celebrities in movies in Christ, in Christian movies was kind of new, I think, still. I yeah. think God's Not Dead was probably the first one, if not one of the first ones that actually did that, you know, and it was Kevin Sorbo. So it's not like they went, you know, crazy with, you know, he wasn't the biggest star at the time. Yeah. Dean Kane though, was in that one, too. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, no one in this one, um, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting because I think Steve Taylor's last movie before this one, he uh he did a movie called The Second Chance, and the, it starred Michael W. Smith. So, oh, wow. <laughs> which I have not seen, but I have heard is is actually decent. Hmm. But, I mean, that's essentially what it is to be an actor. Uh, I grew up in Hollywood, and I had friends who wanted to be actors, who wanted to be comedians, directors, writers, all kinds of stuff. And 
you, the, I think there was a, I guess a kid from a guy who what used to be on the Cosby show popped up on the internet. Like there was a video of him working at Trader Joe's and people were like making fun of him because he used to be this big star on a huge sitcom. And now he's working at Trader Joe's. What, but what people don't realize is that's normal. You yeah. know, when you're a character actor, when you're just working, your, your job begins when you get a job and ends when that job ends. You have nothing after that. You, I mean, people save money. People, you know, they get their, if they're smart, they know, you know how to save their money. But it's really, really hard to actually make a career as, a, as an actor. You know, it's really hard. Even a character actor that, you know, those people that you don't know their names, but you see them every once in a while, you know, pop up here and there. But you, sometimes they just need real jobs. It's not, you know, this glamorous thing where, like, they live in giant mansions. It's, you know, it's hard work. Yeah. And sometimes you got to do a God's Not Dead. And sometimes you got to do a God's Not Dead. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but I, I do like the cast in this quite a bit. Like, I, I feel like they feel like real people in this. Like, no one, no, and I know there's a whole scene later on where they all talk about types and archetypes, but no one really feels too shallow in this. They're, right. They're kind of complex. Um, and I appreciate that there are characters in this who, you know, like, like the girl in this scene, um, Quinn. Mm-hmm. Who, uh, he, she's gay. She doesn't share his beliefs, and the movie never has a scene where she <laughs> changes their beliefs. You know, it doesn't yeah. expect her to make a change. She's not. She's a person, not a sales pitch. Right. And, and I appreciate that. Like I, I think a lot of Christian movies, faith-based movies, they're kind of the. Um, they're like the cinematic version of Chick Tracks, if you remember those. Um, you know, they tell a story to make a moral point and everything builds to the big conversion scene. And I, I appreciate this film didn't have to do that. It's I've always felt the more effective way, if you're going to do some sort of faith-based cinema, make movies for the Christian audience or about a Christian audience, the Christians need to be the one with the conflict and the change and right. the, you know, that that's the more effective way to do it. I, yeah. Right. Um, um yeah, and I, w- I will say, Christian, evangelical Christians especially hate, uh, the, what do you call that, uh, the Benny, Ben Hinn stuff, prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. Christians hate that. They think that it's blasphemous, they think it's wrong, and every movie is prosperity gospel. All Christian movies are practically, or practically all of them, are prosperity gospels. If you follow Jesus, you're going to win out. If you follow Jesus, only good things are going to happen. You know, you're going to win and nothing bad is going to happen to you. And, well, that's not what life is like. That's not what the Bible says. And it's certainly not what they preach in real life. But their movies just can constantly, you know, just tell you that things are going to be great if you just follow Jesus. Yeah. I, you know, like I said, I went and saw, um, I, I would not normally go see a, a, a faith-based movie um, of my own volition most times just because <laughs> of their their own uh, reputation. But my son's a football fan, and I thought, man, he, I'd love to take him to go see a sports movie. American Underdog's out. That's got to be harmless. I like Zachary Levi. And it's a decent movie. And what kind of hit me with that is this is a movie. I, I wrote a little bit about it. It's not made for me. It's made for 
these movies are made often for people who go to the movies twice a year and they just want the happy inspirational story. Sure. Yeah. Which is, there's a place for that. But the problem is when you attach that to truth and you say, Oh, it's not just a happy story. It is, you know, if you pay attention to this, it can change your life. Then it sets them up to believe, you know, life is like the movie and God always has to, you know, give you the tidy, happy ending at the end. Mm. And I, I think it was uh, Facing the Giants, another football movie, um, <laughs> you know, where it looks like the pastor's wife is going to lose the baby and they might lose the game. But they pray and God makes everything OK. And I'm more interested in the movie where they lose, you know, they pray and they say, God, you know, whatever happens, we will praise you. And then they lose the game. Right. You know, <laughs> well, um, well, like we talked about in God's Not Dead, uh, there's a situation in which uh, a guy is told he works in a factory. He he was unemployed. He couldn't find a job. They found him a job in a factory. His boss told him, hey, we need you to fudge these numbers. Uh, and it's not legal, but we need you to do it. And if you do it, then we'll then you'll, you know. Uh, you'll be in our good graces, but if not, then we're, you know, we may fire you. And he, you know, because he's a Christian, decides he's not going to do it. And then it turns out it was all a test. And you, not only do you did you pass, but you get a promotion. Like, <laughs> again, if, like, let's say he got fired, that would be a much better resolution to that. You did yeah. the right thing and you lost. And now... All you have is God and your friends, you know, to help you because that's what that's what, you know, Christianity is sometimes it's doing the right thing and then bad things happen as a result. And yeah, that you that that's the difficult thing. That's why Christianity is so hard, because we have to do the right thing in spite of what the result might be. Yeah. And I think that's where this movie gets interesting, too, because. The, you know, the God's not dead approach or the even the approach I would have just seen in, you know, any Bible study growing up would be the Christian goes to the non-Christian school. Maybe they're hostile to his beliefs, but by being a good person and not backing down and not joining in with them, he changes them. And <laughs> what's funny is, you know, I think that's what I expected my perspective would be. Um, when I went to college was I'm just going to be, you know, the good Christian kid, play my newsboys and people will uh, come to follow Christ and they will be more like me. And what I found was, no, I just went and went to my classes. They might have questions, you know, like if they found out I was a Christian, they might ask me some questions about that. But more than anything, it was just, oh, the reality is I'm getting to know them. I like them. And guess what? We might not share the same views, but we can talk about them and discuss them and be friendly and <laughs> have good community. And they can, the, at the end of the day, they're not threatened by my beliefs because I'm showing them love and empathy. And I'm becoming a better person because I'm learning more about them. I'm, I'm empathizing with them. I'm being taught how to, you know, have relationship with people who are not like me. Right. And that's, again, the biggest problem is not understanding who you're supposed to be talking to. That's a big problem Christians have. They only know mm -hmm. other Christians. Yeah. And it's, yeah, how, how are you supposed to talk to somebody, relate to them, minister to them, even if, you know, if you don't know anything about them? 
Yeah. It, or, you know, if I don't think people – people don't really get offended with what I believe. They get offended when they think I'm treating them like a sales pitch. Like, I know nothing about them, so I'm coming in to tell them, you know – Hey, you know, you're going to go to hell if you don't uh, (laughs) accept what I believe here on the spot without caring anything about them, without liking them. You know, the the best conversations I've had about faith, the things that have made people reconsider faith, the things that have, you know, caused any change in my life are when I'm with a friend who I love and I'm open and we're disagreeing and maybe it causes me to pull back on some things, them to pull back. on, And we're, we're kind of negotiating this because we see each other as people and are taking each other's views into, uh, into perspective. Mm. I don't understand what's going Oh yeah. He joined the protest thing. He just wanted to protest. That's right. Right. So they're going to the bookstore. So yeah, um, he's joined. He can't find a club because he needs extracurricular activities. Yes, and he can't find any club. So he there's a club for protesting, and they decide they're going to all dress like robots and go to a book chain, a major book chain, and uh, you know act like robots and they're like you know, you know being like corporate robots. Essentially yeah, making fun of the big corporate machine. And there's the real Donald Miller right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it is funny how much uh, incident they have to build into this. Because I, I from what I remember of the book, uh, the college portion of it takes up a very small portion of the book. Um, and it's a very... Like, it's just a collection of little essays. There's mm. no real narrative to the Book of Blue like jazz. Right. Um, so it's, it, it is funny how they had to build in so much incident. And there's a book Donald Miller wrote a few years later, about the little, little bit before this movie came out. Uh, this movie had a very long production, like getting funding and things like that. Um, he wrote this book called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. Mm. And it was all about how writing the script for this movie made him realize how kind of formless his life was and how it didn't fit into a story. And so he found himself like questioning his purpose and things like that. And so writing a screenplay and understanding the elements of storytelling helped him to kind of organize his life think about what he wanted to do with his life and really find the formula that would make the story work. But then he incorporates that into his life. And it's funny because it's a decent book, but when you look at what he was writing about to try and figure out this story of the movie, you see the seeds for what he would eventually be, which uh, what he would do with um, story brand. He's a marketer now and he teaches businesses how to find their company's purpose and story and that's where he comes up with these formulas i find it very fascinating (laughs) that this whole book that was about not finding a formula that was about there being no formula or resolution to everything suddenly results in him writing a screenplay about that book (laughs) that causes him to realize oh there's a formula to everything i can (laughs) can turn into a business (laughs) 
which I mean, if, if that's what he does, it, it, I've read some of his marketing books and they're fine. Um, yeah. it, it's just funny that that's where he ended up. Um, it would be a very different movie with a very different legacy if he incorporated some of the other characters that are in this book, the guys he was living with at this house outside of the college. Um, there was his friend Josh, who was uh, really into purity culture, mm-hmm. who, um, you know, if, if you know the story of the book, it was Joshua Harris. He was uh, Donald Miller was a mentor to Joshua Harris when he was writing I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Um, when Joshua Harris left the ministry, he actually went to work at StoryBrand with Donald Miller. Um, and there's a character in Blue Like Jazz, the book. Mark the swearing pastor, who is Mark Driscoll. Right. Uh, and it's it's just fascinating that that's the stuff that was left on the cutting room floor, uh, not included in the script. And um, that's the stuff that has uh, probably the most problematic legs. But Yeah, and if they could give, like, another pass at that. Like, even a movie about the making of the book. Mm-hmm. It would be very interesting, considering the characters that <laughs> that pop up. Yeah, I would have loved to see a documentary uh, that was just talking to Donald Miller about this book ten years ago. You know, but, right? Um, because I, I think that's that's fascinating. It's a really good book. He's got a very conversational style of writing that I I, I really enjoy. He's very funny as a writer. Right. Um, I think a lot of the quirks in this come from Steve Taylor. Um, but if he, Donald Miller himself is a very funny, self-deprecating writer. Um, and it would have been interesting. He, uh, I've always thought he was kind of the uh, Anne Lamott for uh, my generation. Hmm. Um, he, he has a lot of the same tone as her. And, you know, his language is probably a little bit better than hers. But, uh, you know, Anne Lamott gets to be the better writer because she's Anne Lamott. Sure. But uh, it, it's really the same the same take. I don't know if you've read Traveling Mercies or anything by her. No. Um, but uh, they, they, it's really the same thing. It's just a bunch of essays kind of sorting through their life and how does faith fit into this and how does faith change me in light of uh, of, of everything happening to me right now. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I would have loved to see, I would have loved to see him having still the same writing career that, that Anne Lamott has. I, I love Anne Lamott. She's a, uh, she's fan- You should read some of her stuff. She's fantastic. All right. Yeah. I'll check her out. Yeah, she's a she's a Christian writer, um, but she is heavily liberal. Um, big big proponent of using the F word. <laughs> um, <laughs> she's she's uh, she's great. She's she's wonderful. Um, I, I I love too that Don just kind of expects that because he's at the liberal college, he's uh, he's going to score tonight. Yeah, <laughs> which funny enough, when you know I, Christians. When, because I came into the church much later after um, a lot of practice drinking. I mean, mm-hmm. I am an experienced drinker. Like I, I almost went pro. I am good at it. <laughs> but, but then when these Christians, when I became a Christian, you have all these Christians who started drinking when beer Christianity became really popular. You know, yeah, having Bible yep. study at breweries and stuff, and then even the progressive Christians, they loved drinking. You know, they would have their like, oh, man, I'm so wasted. I've had two beers. And I'm like, it's adorable. And I'm not putting them down. That's fine. But they just felt so, re- they they, they uh, 
they felt so rebellious, you know, for yeah. bucking the system. Yeah, it, 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 it is kind of this weird thing. Um, because I am one of those Christians who started drinking really late. And I, I think for me, it was late enough where I was just like, whatever, this is, I guess, what I do now. But, <laughs> uh, you know, it was just, okay, I'm having a beer. It's fine. But I definitely, I, I remember I had a friend. He was a youth pastor. And um, he I, I, he left the ministry after a bit. Uh, and I caught up with him a few years later. And we met at a restaurant by the place I was working. We got lunch. And he made the biggest deal that he was going in to order a Killian's um, because, you know, we were Baptist and we, we didn't do that. Yeah. And I just remember sitting down at my lunch hour and he's like, uh, waitress, waitress, I, I, I will have a Killian's. And he like, you know, announced it. he was so proud. And <laughs> he's like, Chris, Chris, do you want a Killian's? I'm like, no, no, man, I'm I'm good. I'm good. Come on, order a Killian's. Like I, I, I swear he was getting he was getting paid. And I'm like, dude, I'm on my lunch hour. I can't be drinking a beer right now. But he just wanted I don't even know if he liked it. He just wanted me to see him drinking it. Right. Yeah, that's and you know, that's fine. I mean, it's it's everybody finds a rebellion somewhere. Yeah. You know, and it's just it's clever. Oh, I wanted to mention this, which is really Kind of again, uh, one of those little moments that I think are really important is they're they're having a discussion on archetypes and all that you know mm-hmm. in in a in one of their classes, and they're talking about how religion is uh, you know can be good or bad, and there's a character who is like I guess the pope of the school. <laughs> He's yeah. like an atheist. He's very anti-Christian, and he's the pope. He's like you know burns books and he. Attacks anybody who has a belief, and this Russian act uh, student got very angry when they were talking badly about religion, and he said that his his grandfather was killed for smuggling religious icons in Russia, and it turns out that his father his grandfather was killed by Stalin, and I wanted to mention that since we're into pop culture, into movies and books. I, I mean, I'm sorry, movies and TV shows, how Hollywood is kind of portrayed as being super communist and super socialist, but there's a lot of 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 depictions of communist Russia in really terrible light. You know, the Americans and, uh, you know, uh, 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 what did I just see? Uh, Death of Stalin. And even if not all of them are American movies, American film critics like praised them for showing how terrible Soviet Russia was. And I don't know oh, if yeah. people really know or, or they don't want to believe that liberals really don't like, you know, communism. It's it's not it's not cut and dry. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm surprised. I'm always surprised when people think that that's Hollywood's go-to depiction is uh, yay communism. Because <laughs> you know, I grew up in the '80s, and all the action movies, the villains were the communists. You know, they right. they were the Russians. Um, and and I I don't think Hollywood depicts it, you know, it, that way. Because I think I th- one thing that someone told me once is the dirty secret that no one knows about Hollywood is that, yeah, a lot of the actors and stuff are liberals, but the studio executives, uh, the people who are pulling in all the big money are big time capitalists and, and oh, a yeah. lot of times staunch Republicans because they, they want to keep that money coming in. <laughs> um, 
It, it is. It, it is funny. I, I think it's also weird when Christians get really heavily on the, you know, anti-socialism, anti-communism train, um, because that's kind of the early church was this idea of a commune right like a communal yeah. society <laughs> and i i don't like the idea of forcing it i don't think it should be forced and i don't i don't think any liberals are saying yeah it should be forced that everything you have is everyone else's um but it goes back to that idea of you know everything can be reduced to a bumper sticker and we stereotype the side we don't like right, right. so when, when i say yeah but maybe maybe the richest people need to give back a little bit more what they hear is you know really stringent communism because <laughs> that's you know that's the way we do it everything is exaggerated these days yeah. um you know the same way that you know if i you know this movie has a lot about um you know don having gay friends and you know when i was about his age when i was in college my best friend from high school uh came out of the closet and just being friends with him, it, it put like a association on me that people at church didn't want anything to do with me because I was his best friend. <laughs> and it, it's because there's this, you know, I, I don't know, this leap to make assumptions, this leap to stereotype um, and, and to put people in this category of, you know, you're not a complex person. You're just a good or a bad person. Right. Um, I, I do also think the whole idea of wanting to protest something like it's such a college mindset. Oh yeah. Uh, um, you know, you just, you, you don't care. And, and I think, I think Don actually says that at one point in the movie, I just want to be against something. <laughs> and, and I, I, I feel like that is one of the truest lines in the movie. Um, for anyone who's been that age is sometimes I just want to, you know, you're looking for that reason. You're right. looking for what that passion is going to be. That's going to guide you. And he obviously feels adrift from church. So he tries to find it in, you know, what he's against. And it, it's funny because that depiction of Christianity was often, you know, that, that, that type of Christianity was often based on what are we against? What are we, what, what's the sin we're taking down today? Not, not do you love Jesus? Not do you love other people, but what, you know, what are you crusading against? And, you know, if you don't have that, then you're going to look for what else you can protest. And yeah, I, I just, I find that mentality very very funny from a personal perspective because I, I definitely was the guy looking to uh, be against something. Right. Uh, interesting enough, I went to uh, my sister went to Berkeley uh, for college, and I went to go visit her. And a one of the weirdest moments that I saw were a bunch of bike riders who apparently are a group. They ride bikes and they don't like cars. They want everybody to stop driving cars. And so what they do is they go, they ride into traffic and they lie down in front hmm. of traffic to stop traffic. Now, of course, you'd think that this would make people very, very angry, but this is Berkeley. So people in their cars actually applaud them. And then after a minute or two, they get up and they move and then traffic goes on as it was. So it's <laughs> this really weird, it's that thing that, you know, who, 
you know, you want to protest something, you want to be against something, and because you, you know, you got the time and you're idealistic and you just feel like you, you know, you want to be a part of something. And of course, in the same way, in Berkeley, the biggest group, like a student group, are the young Republicans because mm. the entire town is super liberal. How, how do you rebel against the rebellion? Yeah. You conform or not conform, but I mean, you know, you, you, you're against what everybody else is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so the young Republicans are actually the punk rockers, the rebels, the, uh, you know, the, the anti-establishment because everyone is liberal there. And it's really an interesting little, you know, a little microcosm of things there. It's college. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I do think it's interesting here, too, that it's, you know, he, he it does recognize the fact that y you can be doing all the protesting. And if you're, you know, sometimes you're doing that just to have that place to fit. Mm, and yeah. the, I like the character of Penny, who, you know, seems very driven, not by wanting just to protest, but wanting to change the world, make it a better place. And of course, she's, you know, revealed to be. The, uh, the I don't want to say the good Christian, but uh, you know a, a very genuine and positive portrayal of the Christian faith. Right. Um, it, it's also very interesting to me that it is raining and sunny at the same time in this shot. Mm, yeah, but I think that's uh, <laughs> typical for Portland. Yeah, it might be. It might be. I'm here in Detroit. If it gets uh, rainy, <laughs> it's just cold and gray. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I, the Penny character was a pretty big deal in the book too, but I don't think she had the uh, romantic relationship that she has with Don here that they're yeah. kind of moving toward. Um, which you know, it's a movie; it has to have the formula. I think that's if there's anything that doesn't work in transferring it to the book or from the book, it, it is this idea that it had to be shoehorned into a three act, you know, narrative. Um, I would have loved to see. Like a, uh, a, 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 you know, he's obviously not the guy who's going to take this book on, but uh, I, I would have loved to see what like a Richard Linklater could oh, do with yeah. something like this, with, where it's just focused on the conversations and there doesn't have to be a overarching story. Um, but that might just be because I've been moving through the before trilogy and <laughs> really, uh, re really like Richard Linklater's stuff. But I feel like the movie starts to get into interesting conversations and then it has to move on for the plot um and, and the plot itself is your typical you know it, it, it as much as it wants to be the edgy pg-13 you know faith-based movie he still at the end of the movie makes the standard christian movie arc back to uh you know back to the person who is comfortable with faith and and things like it, it really does hit the same the right beats or the typical beats right and again, and I think I do remember that that surprising me a ton. The fact that I I didn't know how they were going to turn the book into a movie. Mm -hmm. Because again, like you said, it's a collection of essays. It's ideas, it's thoughts, it's, you know, it, uh, there's a few stories explaining his point of view, you know, giving examples, but there's no story. And they mo mo they molded this out of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I do want to also just pause real quick and just say how much I love 
that they used over the Rhine uh, in, in this sequence is the musical cue. I love mm. over the Rhine. They are my all time favorite, uh, one of my all time favorite groups. And uh, it was just nice to see that drop. Oh, nice. um, but yeah, are, I mean, are you familiar with the story of them making this movie at all? Not at all. No. Okay. This was a, uh, this was a movie that was in the works for a few years, I want to say. And I think a lot of the problem was getting the script, right? Um, but so, so it was, you know, going through the standard channels, uh, Steve Taylor wanted to make it. And so he got his investors and then, um, like right before they were beginning pre-production, the investors pulled out and it was, you know, it wasn't an expensive movie. It was like, uh, you know, I think it ended up being like a million dollars, but it was like a $500,000 investment at first. Mm-hmm. But uh, so Steve Taylor wants to make this movie. Donald Miller is uh, eager, eager to make this movie. They get the investors. The investors pull out. Movie's dead. Oh. Um, so Donald Miller went to his blog and kind of broke the news to all his followers that, uh, you know, hey, movie's not going to happen. We had investors they got to pull out. And so, sorry, no movie. Um, and then two readers really wanted the, uh, you know, the movie to happen. So they started a Kickstarter and this was before many people were using Kickstarter for anything. It was one of the first big Kickstarter projects. Um, and at that point, I'm looking at the Wikipedia, uh, only six films had raised more than $100,000 to the website at that time. Um, and so what Steve Taylor did is uh, he was kind of skeptical and he told people, he's like, all right, you donate $10 or more. Um, I'm going to give every one of you a personal phone call if we make $125,000. <laughs> and um, by that October they raised, I think, close to $400,000. And the film was made for about a million. Um, So it was actually like a big Kickstarter success story. It was one of the first big ones, which is really fascinating when you think about Kickstarter and the amount of Christian culture that has, you know, been record-breaking on Kickstarter. Yeah. Because there was uh, Blue Like Jazz, which was a huge success story for them. Unfortunately, it didn't translate into... uh, you know, great box office. It actually was kind of a uh, fizzle there. But I remember Five Iron Frenzy, when they came back just like a year later, they broke like every Kickstarter record to uh, to get their new album funded at that point. And I think they doubled that just like two years ago when they did their last album. So <laughs> it, it's funny how much of an audience there is willing to kick in money to see, you know, their their favorite Christian books turned into movies and <laughs> Christian albums and stuff. Um, and this actually premiered at South by Southwest, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it didn't get great reviews. And like, I, as you would expect, I even I'm not entirely a big fan of this movie just mm-hmm. i like it you know you said uh, but though i love the characters i love what it's saying but uh it does seem a little slapdash a little thrown together you know yeah it, so it does have its problems but again but that's what happens in hollywood it's really really hard to tell a story in you know while you're filming all different kinds of things and trying to p- put something together it's it's a miracle when a movie happens i think uh, i've heard several critics say that that Whenever a movie gets made, for everyone to come together and do their part for a movie to actually hit the screen, 
it's a miracle. It's so difficult to do and so much has to go right. So yeah. this is really an amazing thing that this was able to happen, you know, it, and it, it has its problems, but it's also very, you know, the, it, there's a lot of good to it, too. Yeah, it's funny. Dave Chen, who uh, hosts the slash or the uh, Filmcast podcast, he, uh, he, you know, at the end of reviews of a movie, he even he doesn't like a movie. Uh, he'll say, you know, but at the end of the day, it's a miracle that so and so got to make a movie, yeah. and uh, <laughs> because it is so hard. And in this case, you have a book that is really probably not suited to turning into a movie because it's just this collection of essays. Um, you know, you have Steve Taylor, who I, you know, I think is a he, he's a very creative person. I don't think he's a very refined filmmaker and he's working on a very limited budget. Um, but I, I do like that it's different. It's, you, you know, it's the God's Not Dead thing. I, I actually thought God's Not Dead came out at the same time as this. God's Not Dead was like two years after this, yeah. uh, which is kind of shocking to me. But, um, you know is someone who had wanted to see faith portray, you know, Christians portrayed with a little bit of honesty on the screen. Uh, I remember it hitting me really hard to see this and being like, Oh, you know, it's a Christian movie where the Christian has to change. It's right. a, <laughs> it's a Christian movie that says, you know, you can be a Christian and not exactly always know what you believe and kind of be, in the process of deconstructing and rethinking that you can have gay friends. Um, you can be liberal. Um, and I think it was more the content than the quality that won me over on this. Um, because I was like, wow, this is, this is a Christian movie. I don't know that I could get away with showing in church. Um, and, and I think that kind of led to its muted reaction too, though, because, I think there is a th a side where the people who want the faith-based movie, the, you know, ABC Christian formula, they're shocked because there's a movie with uh, cussing and, <laughs> you know, gay characters and embracing doubt. And that they're not ready for that one. But then I do think, you know, you're more traditional critics. You're, you're people who aren't going out to see the faith-based movies. They look at this and they're like, oh, it's a Christian movie. Right. And, yeah. And you can kind of see it hewing to that formula. So I think it's just a little, you know, you know, the, the mixture of the peanut butter and chocolate doesn't work for either group. <laughs> um, which which I, I mean, I like it. I, I've wanted Steve Taylor to make some more movies. Um, I believe he actually teaches film right now oh, nice. uh, out in Tennessee. But, uh, you know, a yeah, I, I've wanted to see what else he could do. I know he had a political script he wanted to do for a bit, and I can't remember what that was called, but uh, I really would love to see. He he was just such an outspoken, creative person, and uh, you know, every few years he puts out an album. He did one with his band, The Perfect Foil, that I really liked, but uh, I, I really would like to see him make more movies. Here we have uh, The Pope going through books to burn and yes. this is my i'm not gonna say, i i like the character he's my least favorite character uh as far as like being likable or not but i do like him that he's in this movie i do like the fact that he you know that he exists here because it you know it gives a kind of a foil to 
you know, our main character here to Donald. And uh, I've known atheists to be this annoying. Like, you know, usually <laughs> Christians are shown to be the annoying ones, you know, the bad guys. And uh, yeah, this uh, this guy is just uh, as as dog as dogmatic as any Christian is <laughs> about his faith. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there's always I, I I've known several of them too. Um, you know, who just. It, they, they want you to know what they don't believe um, yeah. and, and constantly. And anytime you mention your faith, even if it's just an offhand, it's, it's a challenge. And, you know, I, Christians can do that too. Like you said, uh, you know, I remember being in my, uh, my big Calvinist days early on when someone would say like, Oh man, that was really lucky. I would have to be the one to pipe up. You know, there's no such thing as luck. Uh, <laughs> everything is Providence, but then you do have, the atheists who, you know, you could mention that, you know, I know people who you mentioned that, um, you know, the church did this great thing for the homeless. Well, it's too bad it was a church doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, is it? Um, yeah, this character is a little, little too in your face. I don't think the Pope is a character in the book. I think there might be like an offhanded mention, hmm. um, if that, but he is definitely not a character in the book. I definitely see why they have him set up here. Um, and I think the payoff is not what I expected when I first saw the movie. Right. Um, and I appreciate that. But yeah, he goes he goes a little too hard in the uh the the atheism. You know, he he's selling it a little hard here. Yeah. And again, I, I don't think hard enough to uh to have a good argument with. All he does is like spout that he's not that there's no such thing as God. Bad things happen, blah blah blah. But this maybe this is a missed opportunity to have a real discussion about, you know, whether God exists or not and why people don't believe and all this stuff. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I I, I agree. I in Christian movies, a lot of times it comes down to God's not dead. Does this too? It's funny. I see a lot of parallels between the two. Um, <laughs> But uh, it's this idea that they want to say they have, you know, they're not they're not being emotional about this. They're they're being rational. You know, the, here's why God doesn't exist. And then the movie always reveals, no, there's an emotional, you know, there's an emotional reason you were burned by God and you're just angry at God. Right. And I, I, it's more interesting to say, you know, let's have these discussions. Um you know, about maybe the limits of science, about, you know, rationality, about how science and faith can coexist. But it's not as necessarily cinematic, I guess, to have those <laughs> conversations. Um, and, and in this movie, you know, they don't have those discussions. They put a giant condom on top of a church. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> um, they, there are some points where I feel like instead of having those conversations in this, they just kind of want to shock you. Right. And um, that, that that doesn't quite work for me. Um, it, it does. This is one of those moments where it turns Don into a jerk. Mm -hmm. And I I think they go. I, I would much rather have the Don of the book who doesn't seem to be like in the book. It's not this rebellion against Christianity. It's just this curiosity almost like, right. OK, the world is bigger than I thought. People don't believe the same things i believe what do i do with that 
I think that's a more interesting movie. I think it takes a, a a little bit more skill and nuance to do that. It takes like a Richard Linklater to have those, you know, to make that cinematic and interesting without doing much at the same time, plot wise. Yeah, which is really interesting because a lot of mainstream or I mean, they might still be indie movies, but much bigger movies are strug- are um, wrestling with faith. Mm-hmm. Now, in the last several years, there have been quite a few that are really wrestling with uh, with the existence of God, with right or wrong. You know, what what does it all mean? And in really, really interesting ways. So, again, as godless as people think Hollywood is, I don't think maybe there's like this new generation of filmmakers or something that are that grew up Christian or are like, you know, thinking about it. And that that are making films that are telling that are telling stories, and there's really really interesting discussions about faith in in a lot of these movies. Yeah, I mean, I I think too, it's it, it, you don't see a lot of Christian filmmakers or like people who are making the faith based movies. They maybe it's a budget thing or something, but they always have to go the drama or realistic route. Where I'm like. There is so much you can do to debate these, you know, talk about the existence of God, the the problem of evil and suffering through genre. Um, Scott Derrickson, who did uh, Doctor Strange and Sinister, is a very uh, committed Christian, a very mm-hmm. strong Christian. And he's he's using horror to have those conversations. Right. Um, and, and and I love that. Um, I think it can be a bit too on the nose when you have to have characters sit there and literally hash out their doctrine. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, I, I, I'm yeah. I, sorry. I, I didn't have anything to say about that scene, but I thought yeah. he did. Uh, he's finally, spe- he hasn't been speaking to his mom this whole time because again, he took his father's advice and went to, to the school. His father wanted him to go to instead of the school that his mom wanted to go to, wanted him to go to. And so he's finally speaking to her, and he was angry before when she was just having an affair, but now she's pregnant. Mm-hmm. His mom is pregnant, and it's the youth leader's, the youth pastor's kid. Yeah, and you know, actually talking about about the atheist character, kind of maybe clued me into one of the issues I have with this, why it's a little too on the nose, which is Don's problem is that he's just mad at God, right? Like, <laughs> he's he's having his doubts because he's had this bad experience with church. And, yeah, if you find out your mom is sleeping with the youth pastor, that's a bad experience at church, right? But it's more interesting to... It, it would be more interesting to me if he just went to read college to be a good student and suddenly found, oh, you know, the people here aren't as scary as... The church told me they were going to be. He he comes running, wanting to get away from church, which is the conflict of the movie. He right. he wants to run from God and finds himself being, you know, kind of pulled back in a different way. I, I think what is so interesting about the book is that that's not Donald Miller in the book. He's he, you know he's the Christian who finds right. Hey, this isn't that bad, and uh, it, it's just a little too dramatic with, with this. Yeah. Um, Including tossing the uh, armor of God at the foot of 
what I believe is a Catholic church or yeah. Episcopalian church. And I, I think that's a totally Baptist thing to have the uh, the plastic armor of God. Yeah. And again, they don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. You're not making a point to anybody but yourself. I mean, he threw all his Christian stuff on the altar at church and during church. And they're like, okay, what was that? This weirdo. <laughs> it, it threw his phone in the uh, in the holy water, the holy which water, yeah. I don't even know if rice can get it good after that. But I know holy water is the worst <laughs> thing to dry your phone your phone from. <laughs> uh, and, and you know he's going to have his soul searching. What I do appreciate though is the uh, well. Is it too early to talk about the confession scene? No, no, that's, no. That's we me. can okay. The the film builds to the confession scene, mm-hmm. which is and that's in it, the it, book. It's in the book, and it's actually so well known that um, a few years before this movie came out, there was a documentary called "Lord Save Us from Your Followers." I don't yes, know if you that was great. Okay. That was very good. And they recreated uh, that confession scene for that movie, um, and, and I actually think it's. It's almost more powerful in the documentary because you're actually watching that sequence where a Christian apologizes for the work, you know, for some of the deeds of the church. Uh, and you're watching it with real people. But I love that ending to this movie because you think it's going to build to, um, you know, maybe the atheist character having the big breakdown where I was just mad at God the whole time and I'm going to be saved and <laughs> you get the traditional church ending. But no, it's the ending where like Don has to reconcile the fact that, hey, I, I like Jesus. I love Jesus and Christians can be bad and I have to reconcile that and we have things we need to apologize for, but that doesn't make my faith any less important to me and let's talk about that right. and it ends the movie on a conversation and and i appreciate that i think that's a oh a hair dryer will fix the phone that's <laughs> it, hair dryers will dry out the holy water in case anyone needs to uh <laughs> needs to and then you know the random girl picks up the phone and yeah she <laughs> talks to his mom and it, it is funny though thinking about the confession scene i remember we had a church around here a few years ago that um gosh this is probably this is even before the movie came out but they dedicated their wednesday night services to having people from outside of the christian community get up and talk about their experiences with christians like bad experiences so like someone from the gay community got up and and talked about that and someone from you know the jewish community talked about how they felt wrong with the church and the church had conversations where they would uh you know they would deal with that and then apologize and do a communal apology to that community Hmm. And, and i've i remember some pastors getting kind of up in arms because like, well, we don't have anything to apologize for, you know, this is the gospel. We didn't do it or exactly. And I don't know, like I've always found it very powerful to, for the church to say, you know, we don't act like God's people, you know, how, how powerful would that be? If, you know, if, if the church, you know, looked at everything going on right now and just said, you know, yeah, we're sorry. We, we, we screwed up. Um, you're starting to see more of that reckoning now. Mm. Um, you know, I, oddly not like the Mars Hill podcast was 
like the number one thing I was listening to all year last year. I think oddly for enough, a lot of people, yeah, yeah, and oddly enough, came out of uh, you know loosely related to Donald Miller. Um, but I think we're starting to have those reckonings, like oh, the church has done harm, and we need to start talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think this movie was kind of ahead of the curve on that by by realizing that you know we have to kind of reckon with our past. Right. Uh, I was trying to figure out who the, uh, the pastor is in these scenes. Right. Uh, yeah. Cause I, both of these folks are playing somebody. I don't know if they're playing somebody real or. I, for some reason in my head, I, I had thought Tim Keller was in this scene, and I don't know why because it's not <laughs> Tim Keller. But I, I thought it was like a—I uh, I actually thought they it was like a cameo from a real, like, well-known theologian or something. But it was not. Mm. Um, but you know, it's it's the you can still believe in God sequence um, that that these movies have. Yeah, um, there's a few movies that came out at the time, and they're more documentaries, but. Speaking of Save Us From Your Followers, is uh, the folks that did Believe Me, which we've done before on this podcast, did a few a few documentaries where it's just a couple of friends sitting around talking about their faith and their experiences with the church and then going out into the streets and talking to people about their experiences hmm. with Christianity. And I think uh, the director is Will, Will Bake. Uh, who did God's Not Dead, and he did uh, Beware of Christians and One Nation Under God, where he kind of really does a good job of exploring what Christians believe versus what the Bible says. And just as young people being told what the Bible says, and you're supposed to kind of get it, you know, and 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 how difficult that is. And he went on to do God's Not Dead? No, no, he went on to do uh, Believe Me. Oh, okay, 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 okay. That that's interesting. I, do you remember what it's called? Which one? The the those, those the documentaries? Yeah. Uh, Beware of Christians and One Nation Under okay. God. Interesting. I have to check those. Yeah, out. and it's just like you know, just a couple, like four guys, just sitting in a circle and like explaining what they've been told, like the crazy things that their youth pastors told them, and you know, and then again, like saying in in. Like reading out of the book that you have to f- love God with all your heart, all your soul, all you. And if you're a kid, like that's terrifying, you know, <laughs> to love God with every single inch of your fiber. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, man, you, if you've grown up in the church, like I grew up in the church, and it, I, I, I can't believe. I maybe I do. I can't believe I don't have some lasting trauma from some of the things we were told. <laughs> like, like I mean, I grew up in a church where you know the um, the, the, uh, the you know the rapture was imminent, right? Oh, so yeah. I grew up in a I grew up in a church that taught the rapture, but um, my my grandmother had had books like about the tribulation period, and she would show me like, oh, here's an illustration of how they're going to have to wheelbarrow all the dead bodies out into the street, and you know <laughs> all the people who have have boils, or even just learning that you know contemplating eternity as a kid like it never ends would right. keep me up at night but you know and, and i i don't know like 
is it you want your children to grow up and and be part of this faith and i'm having those conversations with my son now he's 10 we're taking him to like a it's not really a catechism at church but it's kind of the same idea sure and it, for me it's sitting like i didn't think anything of the fact that at seven years old i was being talked to about baptism you know i was being talked to about heaven and hell well as a parent sitting there with my 10 year old it's it, it, there's this tension where I'm like, I want to have this conversation because these things are important to me, but man, I don't want you to just believe this because I'm telling you this or because you think it's the, you know, I, it, it's something that's going to impress me or make me approve of you more or because you have one person telling you something who you've been taught to believe and you can't, make this decision for yourself based on different viewpoints or I don't know if that makes any sense, but it's like, I want him to make a decision because he, he really loves Jesus. And I'm like, can at 10 years old, can you make this decision? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and we expect kids to have that answer. And, uh, you know, I think even as adults, we realize these are complex questions that we don't have all the answers to. There's not, you know, always an easy formula to it. It's faith. And uh, again, that gets back to what I think the book does so well is understanding there's not always this uh, this resolution to all our questions. Sometimes we have to live with this tension that, you know, yeah, I, I can be a Christian and realize Christians aren't always the best people. I can have faith in God and be, you know, certain of of my eternal destiny, but I can still have periods of doubt and and you know, questioning and reassess some of the things I, I believe. Hmm. And yeah, it, it, I think that's what happens when you grow up in a culture where you're not allowed to ask questions and you just, you have to accept right away that what this person is telling you is truth. You start asking those questions they're trying to have you avoid uh, and you're more prone to run the other direction. Right. Um, I, I knew so many people who went to very strict, you know, Christian colleges. Like they, they wanted to avoid the situation Donson in this, right? And uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm losing my voice this, this evening. <laughs> but uh, they wanted to avoid the situation Donson, so they would go to the most strict Christian colleges where there would be, you know, the uh, metaphorical pink and blue sidewalks and and things like that to uh, separate guys and girls. And Boy. yeah, and and <laughs> there would be so many of those friends would crack, you know, because those questions are going to come in whether you like it or not. You know, you're you're gonna because if you're gonna make your faith something personal and something lived in, you have to start asking if you believe it at your core. And when you don't have anything to guide you through that questioning, then you just start rebelling. Yeah, I mean, the, that's just, it, it. there's like an existential crisis that you go through. And how could mm -hmm. you not to just, you've been told something your whole life and you never really take it, like, because it's always been there and you never asked anything about it. And mm -hmm. it just becomes this really hard thing to, especially when it's after a long time of not asking. When you first start asking, especially when you're older, when you have all these thoughts and ideas and gosh knows hormones and all kinds of chemicals roaring through your body, you know, it's 
insane. It'll it'll drive you nuts. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of like you'd brought up drinking before. Like the Christians who didn't go up drink grow up drinking, right? And you're taught not only did you not grow up drinking, but you're taught it's a sin. It's wrong to let alcohol touch your lips. It's you know don't do it. You will go to hell if you do it. Man, the instant you you take that first drink, a lot of times you go totally the opposite direction because you don't suddenly, you know, you're not going straight to hell when you drink that. <laughs> but uh, it's like, oh, I don't know what else to do because I was told if I start doing this, I'll just overindulge. So I must overindulge or something. And I have no other outlet for processing this. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. If you grew up in this cloistered community where you you don't associate with people outside your faith, you don't question you know, I th- there's the whole deconstruction question that's going on right now of is it ever good to deconstruct, which I would say, you know, whether it's good or bad, we do it all our, you know, all our lives. We're yeah, constantly I know. Re- I mean, if you don't, yeah, if you don't uh, rethink some things ever, then there's something mm-hmm. really wrong. <laughs> but, it, but if you're told there's, you know, you don't ask questions, you don't rock the boat, you don't. You just accept what you're taught, you know, ABC, and never, never reconsider anything. Then the instant you start asking those questions, they tear you apart because you instantly think, man, I'm asking the question. I, I must be lost already, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so I must just run the other way. Um, and, and I think that's kind of what they're getting at in this, like, especially in this Renfair sequence where he's like totally given in. And now he's like, you know, just getting drunk, doing drugs and stuff, which I, I don't know. I, I've heard Ren Fair is a real thing at Reed College, which is really this wild, but uh <laughs> but but it is. You, if, if you're not allowed to ask the questions, you're gonna you're gonna break. And I, I think we should have more encouraging of doubt. Or not of questions in the church. It'd be more sympathetic to doubt. Right. Um Yeah, I just you know, and especially after after uh, so many people left the church after the rise and fall of Mark's Hill and all kinds of, especially like there was like a gangster capitalism about a Liberty University. Mm-hmm. All of these things just, it, it just, it, it made a lot of people realize that they've really experienced some real trauma in their, in their faith growing up, that people used faith to, to hurt them. And to lie yeah. to them. And it was just, you know, it is really, really hard to, you know, to hear about. And to kind of, because I, again, I came into the church late, so I didn't experience any of that. And I keep thinking, like, how could, like, how could people do that? How could people tell somebody this thing that is completely antithetical to what the Bible says. How could people stick to or follow someone, you know, wholeheartedly mm-hmm. without even quite like, and that that's become like a real thing in Christianity is the, the notion that, uh, that a per that loyalty to a person is what's important. Yeah. And loyalty is what's, you know, and that becomes a really dangerous thing. There was this, uh, documentary on, uh, it's I think it's called FBI MLK or maybe MLK FBI. Oh yeah, I've uh, heard of it. Yeah, yeah, about how the FBI was like investigating Martin Luther King Jr. 
and how he was. You know, he did cheat on his wife. And not only did he cheat on his wife, but he wanted very, you know, the kind of sex he had was very, you know, I don't know, kinky. I'm going to say it. And they recorded him to kind of blackmail him. And I think the point that the documentary was making is that we need to believe in a movement, in an idea, in, you know, not, don't, don't believe in a person because people are flawed. And that happens so often when people are just wholeheartedly dedicated to a person that mm-hmm. they, they can't let you down. So you just, you know, kind of believe that you justify everything that they do. Yeah. I mean, and the church is a, like a perfect storm for that to happen because you're believing, I mean, some churches, you literally, you know, the people literally believe this is someone, you know, personally chosen by God to give them the truth. Um, But you do, you know, churches are very personality driven because there is a single person who gets up on a platform every week and commands your attention. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, a healthy church is going to know how to balance that and have community that exists apart from the pastor that uh, makes sure, you know, there's there's community going on, community groups where you're you're able to share your questions. You're able to see that, you know, the work of the church are these relationships that happen and not, you know, the show that goes on once a week. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and. and you know, you, you look at what's going on with the Mars Hill podcast and things like that, and you see people who are like, I'm just done with the whole thing, um, you know, which is kind of Don's, you know, the whole journey here is I'm just done with church. And I don't know that that's a healthy response either, because I right. don't, you know, I, 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 I've gone through those questions myself, and I've, I've kind of found I don't know that I have a context for my faith apart from other people, right? Like Christian faith is one that brings you into community and, you know, people are going to do, you know, whether it's a church building or you're meeting in someone's basement or, or something like that, there's that, there's a community aspect that it has to have. And, you know, my, my, what we found to do is just try and maybe change it from the inside. (laughs) Um, you know, you, you do come back to that middle ground where it's like, okay, how do I balance my knowledge that, you know, the church is full? You know, if, if, I, if I'm a Christian, I believe that people are sinners and broken and flawed, and I shouldn't believe the people in my church are any different. So I have to have grace when it's not necessarily what I expect or want, but I also have to balance that with a responsibility to say, Hey, you know, we're, we're claiming to believe one thing and to love Christ and we can't let abuse and evil run rampant through it either. There's this weird balance of accepting the flaws in the church while also, you know, account being accountable for them and holding people to account for them. Hmm. And I feel like I totally lost the thread of the movie when I said that. No, that but, uh... that, that often happens uh, in this podcast. Uh, there's been several t- several movies where we're talking about it the whole time, and then the last third, <laughs> we just completely go off on tangents and talk about something uh, more specific. And <laughs> so, but it is funny because this is actually we're we're at the sequence that actually did 
really make a big impact on me the first time I saw it, which is where um, he's in Penny's room. And this is where it kind of clicks back with him that, you know, why he's sticking with the faith. And it's because he sees this love she has for Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think there's a line that like when you sometimes you can't understand something till you see how someone else, how it looks through someone else's eyes or how, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll say it as soon as they show it in the subtitles on here. Sure. But uh, it, it is this idea that, you know, what, what changes people, what, what is attractive Christianity is just someone who loves Jesus and that flows out in a love and care for other people. And that's what makes the faith attractive. And, I, I think that's a really beautiful statement. It's, you know, from for someone who grew up in circles where the thing that won people to Christianity was having the best argument, you know, <laughs> letting letting the attractive thing be the fact that your life is changed and creates this radical compassion and joy in you. Like, I, I don't. I didn't see that in a lot of Christians growing up. And now it's the thing I look for whenever I hear someone's a person of faith, I'm, I am kind of searching for, okay, well, are you a joyful person? Are you someone who loves others? Because that's the thing that validates it for me and you. Mm. Um, Penny loves Jesus. That's what it's. And, and I, I'm also going to say, I'm really confused by the space sequences. I know movie. it's weird because they're, they, Kind of have these big giant spacesuits like the kid in uh in uh, a Christmas story, mm-hmm. you know he can't put his arms down like it's really huge. And then I don't know, I don't get. I he's adrift, he's lost. I get that. And then the girl catches it, catches his his. I don't know. It, it's definitely trying to uh, pull in some of the more out there elements of the book, which it works in the book when he has just an illustration he's making. I I think it's Steve Taylor being, you know, the creative, um, he he was very, he would get very artsy with his music videos. Um, And I think he's trying to pull it in here and make something a little that feels artsy, but it just, it, it doesn't really pull off as well as it does in his videos. Mm -hmm. Um, I used to do a podcast with, uh, you know this, you've been on it a few times, with uh, Joe Yerke from the Christian ska band The Insiders. Yeah. And he was actually, he had an album produced by Steve Taylor. And I think Steve Taylor directed one of their videos. And it's really cool because it's just like the characters are all these paper cutouts singing. like, And the, the music video is just them like paper cutouts and singing and dancing and stuff. And it's really cool. Yeah. Um but those flourishes don't work as well in a movie that's usually pretty grounded. Yeah. And now he's going back to church. Yeah. So happy ending there. But uh, no, and then it does close on the on the confession scene, and I I dig that. I I, I like I like that it ends on a conversation. Right. I, um. Uh, I, this is a really weird thing, but a thing I really, really actually do like is the the pastor. I guess he's a pastor because this is sort of Catholic, but not because the the priest has a child. And 
like uh you know the child like when he, they hang the sign up where they put the condom on one of the steeples and it says don't let they hang a sign that says don't let these people reproduce the little girl like reads it his daughter little girl just reads don't let these people reproduce and the <laughs> the, the, the pastor says very good <laughs> that's a good girl like she read it right you know and then I... after he throws his armor of god on the ground and he leaves you know, later on, you see her wearing the helmet. <laughs> oh, I didn't catch that. Yeah, um, they're also the same people who uh, rescued Don from the uh, overturned porta potty. That, yeah, that's when she was wearing the helmet. They they, okay. turned, they flipped okay. it over, and she's wearing it, and he's got that pope robe on, and she's like, "My daddy has a dress just like that." <laughs> she... I, I believe the pastor's supposed to be Episcopalian. Okay. Um, I did a quick Google search, and they do have holy water in the Episcopalian Church. So, oh, um, so that might be what it is. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a nice balance too of understanding that you know it, it. Some of the Christians in this are not great characters, like the pastor at the beginning, but then people like Penny and the pastor in this are you know decent people, and right. I, I think you could go another way. By making all, you know, you could go too far the other way and make all the Christians these big outsized caricatures <laughs> that wouldn't work either. Um, you know, it, it allows for a good depiction of the faith, but also, you know, an honest depiction. There's, you know, not no one in this movie is a quote unquote bad person, except right. for the youth pastor at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it also made me think of, we were you were talking about other movies. Have you seen um, Faith-Based? No, is that okay. was that the comedy with uh... that? Yeah, yeah, it's the comedy with um, Jason Alexander has a bit part in it. Yes, no, I um, haven't seen that one, but yeah, that's that's an interesting one, um, and it reminded me of this in the way that it had you know edgier humor. I mean that that movie's an R-rated comedy, mm -hmm. um, and yet it's. It's got a positive depiction of faith in it that that really kind of shocked me when the movie took the turn. Um, you know, it's about two guys who just realize, you know, they're they're kind of stoners. They they're lazy, but uh, they decide, oh, we're going to cash in and make a faith based movie because these movies don't have to be good and they'll make millions of dollars. <laughs> um, but one of the characters you know, he has he hides it, but he he became a Christian. It, you know, he becomes a Christian over the course of the movie, and it treats it very, you know, admirably. It, it, it's really a fascinating little movie. Oh, um, definitely R rated. Which sure, which I can imagine. Talking, but uh, yeah, I do appreciate too that the scene ends before anyone, like before any conversion scene, like right. that. I've, I, I have yet to see that be convincing in a movie. Yeah. Um, and I don't know how you really you portray that in a convincing way in a movie without it feeling a little too staged or uh, on the nose. I saw once as somebody losing their faith in a very great way. It depicted very well. Uh, and that was in Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> When uh, the one of the uh, the war boys, you know, the one that kept jumping onto, uh, you know, uh, Furiosa's yeah, yeah, yeah. truck, and he, he, you know, he's just dedicated to to his leader, and he keeps failing, and so he, you know, he feels bad because he's failed, you know, 
he failed mm-hmm. his leader. And so then there's this moment when he's like really trying to stop there. He gets into the cab of the truck and they're trying to push him out. And he said like, no, we're going to, you know, turn this world around. And then he's like, you know, men are in control. And then one of the girls pushes him out and says, then who killed the world? And it kind of snaps for him that, oh, maybe we killed the world. Maybe we had something to do with how the world ended up. And it's just this little, like, it wasn't an instant thing, but for a, for a portion, things keep happening to him that lead to him losing his faith in his leader. And it's just done so well that at the end, you know, there's a point where he's just curled up in a little ball in the back of the truck. You know, he found a place to hide on, on in the truck and they find him and he's crying because he, you know, lost his faith and it's just done so well. And I know it's weird. I don't know if it's making any sense how I'm explaining it. No, but... because I, I've actually, like, that's uh, Anthony Holt's character. I, I think his name's Anthony Holt. But, uh, yeah, he, he ends up having, like, a really little sweet romance with one of the girls. And I think he ends up sacrificing himself at the end of the movie, doesn't he? Yeah. Because he goes from being, like, a total, you know, dedicating his life to want to die for... Um, for Immortan Joe mm-hmm. uh, to now realizing, oh, I, you know, that I, I was given a lie and this is what I should, this is what I should die for. Right. And uh, yeah, I, I do. I, oh God, I love Mad, Mad Max Fury Road. I, 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 uh, I don't know if I've said this enough times in this. I remember when it first came out, there was my friend's sister who was an, who's now an actress. Uh, we, uh, I think they were the family was having a, a party and I was there. I was invited and she was there. And as the moment we saw each other, we said, have you seen Mad Max Fury Road? And we talked about it <laughs> the entire day. And we talked about it for an hour. Just sit, just the first time we, you know, we said hi. And then we went off to, you know, talk to different people to get. And then I saw her running into the room, like looking for me. She sees me and she runs over like, remember the part where, and then she, we start again. <laughs> it, it's just because that's what movies does to people. It just, it, you know, it, it's inspiring. It's moving. It's great. You know, it says a lot and it's just, yeah, that, that movie is one of my favorites uh, that's come out in the last 20 years. It's phenomenal. I I uh, I love Mad Max Fury Road. That was uh that was my top movie of the year that year it came out and I think when I did my best of the decade list it uh it, it was pretty high on that list too. Yeah. I uh I need to watch that again. I I love yeah, I know. That movie. <laughs> I love that movie that uh, we we've totally abandoned Blue Like Jazz to talk about <laughs> Mad Max, but that's okay because yeah. Mad Max is great. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that I have anything more to say about Blue Like Jazz. Yeah, I think we uh, kind of covered it. It's, uh... I feel like I feel like we've discussed Blue Like Jazz more than anyone has ever talked about Blue Like Jazz. Yeah, uh, probably, I, especially in the last 10, 15 years. It, which is a shame because, yeah, I, I would like to see more people. Um, I, I would like to see more Christian filmmakers try something like this. That's maybe a little messier. Um, you know, there are really competent faith-based filmmakers out there like i mentioned american underdog and uh, the guys who did that the Irwin brothers they're they're not bad filmmakers they are you know they they know how to tell a story they know how to shoot and make it look good um you know they understand formula and it's fine but uh i i kind of like the messiness of blue like jazz and that steve taylor tries something that feels different sure and maybe it doesn't all work but i i will say 
watching this movie, I can see its flaws, but I, I just remember how how much I kept thinking about it in the weeks after I first saw it. That wow, someone is actually having a conversation about not just about faith in God, but Christianity and some of the things I was thinking about and struggling with at that same age. And mm -hmm. I, I wish we saw more of that where it wasn't us against the world, but, you know, Christians in the world trying to figure out how to, how to do this thing alongside everyone else. Right. And again, so differently than any other Christian film. That that's what's impressive to me is that this is just so different, and it it took a giant risk at doing that, which again it did not result in good things because it didn't it didn't get very good reviews and it didn't get seen a lot. But it, Christians didn't like it and non Christians didn't like it, you know, except for the few that actually liked the book and who you know the Christians who were actually questioning faith and all. They're the yeah. ones who probably who liked it the most. But it was a huge yeah. risk, huge risk for this to, you know, to be made. Yeah, and, you know, it, it was the last movie Steve Taylor made so far. Um, you know, it, he hasn't done anything since. He has a producer thing coming up. But, uh, yeah, it, it it was refreshing. It was uh, definitely a movie. I, I, I There have been many times where someone has said, you know, oh, I liked God's Not Dead. And I'm like, have you seen Blue Like Jazz? <laughs> give, give that one a try. Uh, like, it, it's definitely been a, I don't watch that, watch this. Um, the thing that's neat in the credits is there's this second role going up alongside right. the main credits. Those are all the Kickstarter funders. Wow. Yeah. yeah it, that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that is cool. Have you ever kickstarted to a movie and got it fund? Got it funded? Yes, I actually even ended up in the movie. Uh, oh, what was it? It was called uh, Earbuds: The Podcasting Documentary, and it was the first, and it's still, I think, the best documentary about podcasting. And it was done at a time before podcasting was was like really all that popular. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was done by two comedians who started a podcast festival and. They interviewed not just podcasters, but podcast fans. And uh, I actually went to a, a place where they were filming, and I got to be interviewed, and I donated to it, and I got uh, I got the DVD signed. It was really, really cool. But yeah, I, uh, Earbuds, the podcasting documentary, I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but uh, it's really, really an interesting little movie about what it's like to not just make podcasts, but uh, to enjoy listening to podcasts. That's really cool. Yeah, I. Uh, it's funny the the one movie I contributed to um, was also there was a podcasting link to that. Uh, Dave Chen, who I mentioned before on this, he um, he's a podcaster, been doing it for years with the film cast, but he also is the producer of the. Um, I'm sure you've heard of it, the Tobolowski Files. Yes, with Stephen Tobolowski, and so he directed a movie called The Primary Instinct, mm -hmm. which is just Stephen Tobolowski telling stories on a stage. Right, and uh, so he he funded that through a Kickstarter. So I, I supported that, and it was actually it's it's a really good little movie, and. Um, you know, I, I don't know if it's kosher to be recommending other podcasts on your podcast. No, no, please. It's, but uh, uh, <laughs> the, the, the Tobolowski Files is one of the great podcasts. It, it, it really is. is. 
And Primary Instinct, I actually ended up buying it when it came out. Okay. And he's there's a third one that was filmed. It just hasn't been put together yet. It was in L.A., and I was actually there. I went to the filming of the third one. Because there's Tobola- Stephen Tobolowski's birthday party, which is Stephen Tobolowski having his birthday party and, and him telling stories throughout the entire party. So it's him you know, cooking, preparing for the party and telling stories. And then as people show up, he tells them stories. And then at the end, he tells stories. It's just him telling a bunch of stories, which is what his thing is. He, he tells amazing stories. He's really, really a great storyteller. And that's what the primary instinct is. Instinct is, is he's on stage telling stories. And the third one was the same thing. It's a smaller stage, a smaller venue. But he tells more stories, and it was great. It was amazing to be there. It was amazing to meet him. And, yeah, Stephen Tobolowsky is just – if anybody doesn't know, he's uh, – gosh, what what was his name? Uh, in, he was uh, Ned Ryerson. Ned Ryerson in yes. Groundhog Day. I think uh, everyone would know what that what, who that is. And I feel like he has appeared on literally every sitcom on ABC right now. Yeah, um, he pops up everywhere. He actually has a book, and this is going to be a nice way to wrap it all up. He has a book I really want to read called My Adventures with God, which are his thoughts about spirituality and religion. Yeah. uh, I feel like that would be interesting to read. And I think this last one, if it ever comes out, there's a lot of spirituality in it. So hopefully we'll get to see that soon because it's, yeah, it's definitely worth checking out. All right. Well, that is blue like jazz. Yeah. Thank you for uh, being here. No, thank you for having me. I, I know we we tried several times to uh, to sync this up, <laughs> and so thank you for your flexibility. It's uh, like I said, my my kid is ten, and I'm on, you know, so we always have something to go to, and right. we and have a three hour time difference. So. Yeah, and y'all have a nine to five job, and I work in a supermarket where hours change, <laughs> and I work weekends, and yeah, it's crazy to try to set this up. But uh, thank you for being on and uh, talking to us. Yeah, anytime, anytime. All right. Well, we'll see you later. See you, Joe. Bye. You've been listening to the Commentarians Podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to support our show, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash thecommentarians. Thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, movies are a reflection of our lives and of other people's lives, and we get to experience them together. Come back to the movies with us. We love sharing them with you.